Hey, everybody. Welcome in to the I Want to Know podcast. I'm your host, Greg Jones, and I'm the one leading you on this inquisitive departure into audio wisdom. Today, I have a really fun and interesting show for you guys. I'll be joined by concussion expert, Dr. Joni Liu. But just in a second, first, I want to thank you guys for listening and for all the feedback I've been getting lately. It's been uh, it's been pretty insane. Really, really enjoy it. So thank you. Keep the feedback coming. You know where to get all the contact information, Iwantoknowshow.com. It's all right there. You can also figure out how to listen. You can find bios on our guests. I'll have a bio on Dr. Joni Liu afterwards with pictures uh, and links and everything you might need to find her books and other things. So make sure you go check that out. But without further ado, joining me right now, physician, author, speaker, and most importantly, brain expert, Dr. Joni Liu is an international leader in Chinese sports medicine and Chinese sports psychology. She has appeared in the USA and Canada on Fox, NBC, CTV, and Global TV, and at venues including Brain Injury Canada. Dr. Joni Liu, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic, and thank you very much for inviting me to your great show. Well, thank you, and thank you for sending me your book. You know, I, I found it super interesting. Um, if, if I may compliment you for a second, uh, I, was reading the, <laughs> I was reading the book, and one of the things I enjoyed most about it, more than just talking about concussions, and the book, of course, Heal Your Concussions, How to Quickly and Effectively Get Back in the Game, now you're talking about uh, ways to, to heal your concussions and heal your other sports injuries, injuries, but what I really got into was you talking about the brain chemical makeup, about all the neurons and the, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, but the glial cells or glial yeah. or... Um, yeah. And all the brain connections. I mean, that just that interested the hell out of me. I love that. So thank you for making that so interesting. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you found it enlightening. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to talking to you about all this today. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, I, I'm a huge sports fan. I also have a sports podcast, for those of you who don't know. So the thought of talking about concussions and sports injuries in a very different way. You know, we hear... You know, someone tore their ACL. Okay, they have injury. We have a very Western medicine take on sports injury. So this will be much more Eastern medicine, Chinese medicine. And it's not something us, uh, I don't know, Westerners tend to know a lot about. So I'm, I'm very intrigued. Um, heal your concussions. How to quickly and effectively get back in the game. How did how did this start? How did this, this book kind of come to fruition? You know, um, I became very interested in the brain just out of curiosity one day, and uh, I, I was reading the book called Evolve Your Brain by Dr. Joe Dispenza, and he his revelations about the brain, that's what set me off because it answered a number of questions for me because I noticed that quite a few of my clients were getting better faster, and when I realized how important what you're thinking and what you're feeling does to the healing process, it actually vindicated Chinese medicine to me because we're really big on the mind. In fact, in classical Chinese medicine, the mind is everything. And hmm. so, so the reason why I got into concussions was because on January 1st, 2011, way back then, Sidney Crosby was playing um, in a New Year's Day game against the Washington Capitals, and it was an outdoor game. Right. But the thing is, is that he got hurt that day, and he had a very severe concussion. And so, you know, at first, I didn't really take that as 
being big news, except for the fact that he is a really big star. <laughs> and and so yeah, at the time he was a bit like the Kobe of the NHL. Oh yeah, you know he there was no nothing that this young man couldn't do because he had just come off, um, you know, winning um, a cup and then winning um, the gold medal for Canada. Over to U.S., I'm going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? Yeah, in the Olympics. So, you know, there was nothing that this young man couldn't do. Everything was going so well. And then this concussion happened. Well, I I started following um, his injury because I realized that the doctors were really confused. They were trying to re-diagnose him. They were saying it was soft tissue damage. They were saying it was a neck problem. You know, they were going through everything. But in the end, it took him two years before he could come back and play. He lost almost two years of his life, of his career, because yeah. doctors couldn't figure things out. And at the time, I was thinking, geez, you know, I had my healing process. I had figured out from that book why things were working out for my clients for other sports injuries and and I really wish that I could talk to Sidney Crosby about this right and and then totally out of the blue I get a call from my own son who said he had a severe concussion it was so he was hit so hard in the head he actually went blind wow and and temporarily blind thank goodness you know his teammates took him to the sidelines and they left him there to sort things out and while he was <laughs> sorting things out you know like he opened his eyes he knew he had his eyes open but he couldn't see and so when when you suddenly everything changed in his life and i could imagine how frightened he must have felt the terror that he must have felt, or even just thinking, how am I going to drive myself home? How am I going to, you know, all the the stuff that might have gone through his mind, but he couldn't really remember what was going through his mind because he was in total, complete shock. But thankfully, after 10 or 20 minutes, he doesn't really know how long he was sitting there. His eyesight did return. And then he decided to go back on the field it was a hot day. His team was shorthanded. There weren't any subs. And he thought that even though he felt awful, he still had to go out there so that at least his teammates could sub on and off and get a break. And so he did that until the end of the game. Now, I've told this story to many, many people, and some people have been shocked. They said, oh, my God, you know, he shouldn't have done that, and blah, blah, blah. Right, you know? yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, he made a decision. He went out there. He managed to drive himself home, and that's when the headaches started, and they were really bad headaches. And he decided, okay, I know I have a concussion, so I'm going to take care of it. Well, because he's a grown young man, he's got his own place, he's been taking care of himself since he was 18 years old when he left home to go to university. So at this point, he's 28 years old. And there's no talking to mummy, right? (laughs) Because he's an adult young male. He's a big boy. He's a big boy. So he stopped doing all his extracurricular activities, and uh, the only thing that he kept doing was was going into work because he was a very, very busy um, uh, intermediate K-12 
chemical engineer with a lot on his plate. There was no way that he could stay home even for a few days. So he just kept going to work. Well, by the time he did call me, it was more than two weeks later. And from at that point, everything had gone from bad to worse because now he wasn't sleeping, so so much for resting. He had headaches almost all the time. He had no appetite. This is a kid who hasn't missed a meal since he was, he was <laughs> born, right? He's always eaten. So not having an appetite, wow. You know, everything was just totally out of character for him. So, but the thing is, is that he knew he needed help. And I, I want to go back about 10 years before that when he was in school and he got this call from a good friend of his. And apparently a mutual friend and teammate had just committed suicide. Okay. So my son was shocked. Sure. Su- suicide was not, you know, it wasn't on his radar. He was a young man. Everything was going well. And then all of a sudden he gets this call. And he asked me because he was so upset, Mom, why would he kill himself? So I was at school at the time, too. I was going to traditional Chinese medicine school. And so I took a little bit of time to think about what I was going to say to him. And I said, you know, your friend didn't just kill himself because of the bad news that he got. Apparently, this young man had just found out that his father had been diagnosed with a brain tumor. And so a few days later, he got in front of a moving light rail transit train, and he threw himself in front of it. Yeah. That's the thing about young men. When they commit suicide, they commit suicide. There's no coming back. And and I told him, you know, there were probably a lot of things in his life that he wasn't happy about. You know, suicides don't just happen. Sure. A lot of times, people are very unhappy. There's a whole bunch of things happening in their life that they're not happy about. They they lose hope. And his father's diagnosis was the last straw. And then I said to my son, I want you to know that your mom and dad are always here for you. If you're having a problem, please come and talk to us first and don't ever give up. And so... Today, I realize that what I have learned through my practice is, was to help my son go through the situation because I had promised him that I would help him way back then. And there was definitely no refusing him when he asked for help in his most dire hour because I knew already that people were committing suicide due to post-concussion syndrome. They were losing hope. There was no way that I could ever say no to my own son. Of course. So that's why my message today is even more important because of what happened to a young man called McCann Utu Jr. a couple of weeks ago in a murder-suicide. I, I don't know if you heard about it. I have not. Okay. This happened in Plano. I think that's how you pronounce it. Plano, Texas. Okay, yeah. McCann Jr., um, he was a basketball player. Uh, he was only 19 years old when he committed this murder-suicide. He killed his mother, who was a very popular morning, uh, morning show host in Texas, and his younger brother, who was 17. 
and then he committed suicide. And they were such beautiful people, these three people. They were so beautiful. I look at them, and they were so gorgeous. So I don't want his death to be in vain. But the thing is, in 2013, that's when he had his first concussion, and then he got into a fight with somebody else later on. And the thing is, is that he could not pass his return-to-play protocol. But the thing is, is that there really is no way for somebody to pass those tests because if you do, if you do pass them, you're passing them on sheer luck, <laughs> unfortunately. And that's why so many players are not allowed to go back and play their favorite sport, their favorite pastime, their love of their life. Because all they do when you, when you fail these tests, they just tell you to go home and rest more. <laughs> right, yeah. But at school, students are always taught their lessons, right? And their teachers always make sure that they are prepared to write the test at the end of these lessons. But that's not true when it comes to return to play protocols, you have to pass five levels of them, but if you don't pass, you know, the first one, then you're you're sent home. You come back, you try to te- you try to test again. If you don't pass, you're sent home again. So, I mean, you're supposed to get through five levels of these tests before sure. you can return to play. Well, he was never allowed to. And in his case, young McCann, he started getting in with the wrong crowd. But his family could also see that he was changing. He wasn't the same kid anymore. So he was more angry. He was more, you know, going through things negatively. In the meantime, his friends on his basketball team, they were moving on. And they were going to college. And they were still playing basketball. He was left behind. So imagine the despair that this young must have been feeling. And there was nobody around to really help him. And that's why this book, Heal Your Concussion, How to Quickly and Effectively Get Back in the Game, is even more important now. And that's why I'm so grateful that you've invited me on this show. You know, it sounds like his case was more of a vicious, you know, spiral. One thing started, led to this, and it just kept circling down the drain as things got worse. Yeah, in his case, that's the way it definitely is. And now the press has made it quite well known that even an ordinary ordinary person can get into trouble like this. But I did a lot of research in post-concussion syndromes, and I've read a lot of how people have felt abandoned by their doctors, about how they don't know what to do, about the fact that many of them have been like this for decades. Some of them have talked about standing back, fading away, you know, I mean, when, mm-hmm. when you're reading between the lines, they're really talking about suicide. I mean, that makes sense. A lot of people with uh, PCS, post-concussion syndrome, end up committing suicide. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, is that we don't know statistically how many that is. Uh, you know, we, we know a lot about what's going on in the NFL and even the NHL. 
because, you know, these are former professional athletes and they're in the news anyway. So any anything that they do is going to be in the news. And so you even have uh, female professional soccer players down the U.S. that are promising their brain for research. But the thing is, is that we don't have to wait until they're dead. We can already tell if somebody is in trouble. And that's by their behavior. Mm-hmm. Have you have you seen the movie Concussion? No, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. So it stars Will Smith, and he is playing Dr. Um, uh, Bennett Am- Amatlu, who's a very well-meaning doctor. Right. Okay. And okay, well, I'm going to – this is an alert for anybody who hasn't seen it yet, but I'm going <laughs> to reveal some stuff. But the thing is, is that – there were two very important things that came out of that movie and about Dr. Bennett's, uh, uh, Matt Lou's work. The first thing was that it was very important for him to name the disease. And the other thing was that he blames football. Okay? Okay. And so um, they were, he was urged to name the disease. And so he found it by examining the – because he's a, a coroner, a pathologist – um, he was examining the body and the brain of a guy named Mike Weber, a mm-hmm. very, f- you know, a, a famous football player. Right. And uh, like Mike Weber, before he died, he was having a lot of difficulty. I guess he was homeless for a time. Um, he was very depressed. He he was. Um, kind of violent at times, but he was definitely demanding from his doctors that they do something to make his brain work again. I mean, I don't know how dramatized that situation was, but the thing was, was that he wasn't behaving normally as a person who is happy and content, satisfied with his life. Mm -hmm. He was obviously in a lot of pain mentally and emotionally and nobody could help him he didn't want the drugs anymore or so much because they weren't helping him right so there was nothing that his doctors could do no matter how much he begged them for help there wasn't anything that they could do and so they were saying at that time that chronic traumatic encephalopathy could only be diagnosed when you're dead now it's actually good news that they are finding that they can actually diagnose somebody while they're still alive. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I, maybe they can do brain scans. It was kind of odd to me at the time in the movie when uh, the doctor said that there is no difference in the brain. I found that very, very hard to believe. Yeah. But, you know, the research has come far enough that, yes, they can tell. You know, it's more shrunken. It's more in disarray. It, 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 it doesn't quite resemble the brain of an Alzheimer's person who has a very distorted brain as well. And there are lots of holes in it uh, from, the la- from the brain not creating more brain cells. But the thing is, is that we look at it from, from a Chinese medical point of view, we look at things from a person's behavior by what they say about themselves, about what they say about their life. I mean, the evidence is right there in front of the suffering human being. It always has been. We don't really need to look at brain scans. We don't really need to look at um, the organs 
to know that there is a problem because we can see it in their face, we can see it in their eyes, we can hear it in the way they're speaking, we can hear in the way they're breathing even. It's our it's the way we observe human nature that helps us diagnose what is wrong. Because we already know that things are going wrong because of the thoughts that they are expressing, the fears that they have, the emotions that they are obviously showing us right there and there when they tell us their stories. And we have a very good clue, very good clues of what's going on. We don't have to wait for people to die. And often in, in conventional medicine, Somebody will go in with a problem that they can't solve, but they can't find anything organically wrong with them sure. because, they're, they're, because there is nothing organically wrong with them. <laughs> and that's where we can really help people. We, we don't have to have proof, physical proof of something because that's not important. The proof is in how happy a person is in their life, how well they're dealing with difficulties in their life or not. You know, so the body le- leaves us clues, too, wherever there's pain, as you could see in my book. Right, yeah. No, I like that. Um, speaking of, of your book, um, one thing you talked about and you're talking about right now is, is diagnosing people from a Chinese medicine perspective. And you were saying that the process not only involves, you know, physical stuff, but actually more mental stuff. You're, you're talking to them, you're asking them questions, and you said it generally takes you about three hours to do this diagnosis. It almost sounds like you're doing more of like a therapy session with this person. Well, everything is therapy, really. But but the thing is, is that spending time with a person and listening to them, I mean, really deeply listening to them, asking very important questions, asking the right questions, <laughs> Yeah, it draws everything out. And of course, there's got to be that trust between a doctor and the student, okay? They are my students. They are, I, I don't really like the term patient because it, it to me that seems like a, a very authoritarian thing, but it really has to be a doctor-student relationship really has to be a partnership and it's got to be one built on on truth and honesty and on trust because it's a, it's very intimate i mean medicine should be intimate yeah right it should be something that we care very deeply about for about the other person and that's what makes a doctor really good at what she or he does is really caring very deeply and and asking those good questions to find out what really is the problem because nothing in life is ever an accident even accidents aren't accidents because <laughs> because really you know we keep repeating some sort of behavior that isn't good for us and then we get into an accident i mean this my son having his head hit on the side of his head above on the right side above his ear no accident at all because he was very confused at the time. And he was confused and stressed out because he had a decision to make and he couldn't make it. So he was in limbo and he suffered because of it. Because at the beginning of that summer, we he told us that he was having problems at work. Mm-hmm. And um, they got a new supervisor. 
and I guess this new supervisor told his told his young engineers that, well, you know, I want to be your friend. And it already taken the company six months to find this guy. So they tried to hire somebody as soon as they could to give these guys direction. Mm-hmm. But when but this first impression did not go over well with these young people because they wanted a leader. They wanted to know that this was somebody that they could rely on to clear the path to show them the way to give them good direction when they needed him. Right. That wasn't the first impression that they got. <laughs> so so his best friend at work decided right there, I'm quitting, I'm finding a job, and I'm moving on. But my son didn't want to do that. He loves the work he does, does there, and he loves working there. He did not want to leave because everything was set up so well for him there. But he didn't want to work for this guy. So what am I going to do? You know, what to do, what to do. And so this just hung on him for months. And the thing is, is that making a decision requires courage. Making a decision requires that you know what direction you want to go towards, right? Yeah. Right? So that's why you make a decision. And when you're indecisive, you don't know where you want to go. And so there's confusion, lack of clarity, definitely stress and being very, very unhappy about the situation because you think you can't change it. And so with post-concussion syndrome for a lot of people, if they're not getting any help, they feel that sense of abandonment and also the indecision and the lack of courage because they don't know where they should be going. So my son being hit on the right side of his head was no accident because, and I'm going to talk about Chinese medicine right now, (laughs) we have these 12 meridians that run through our body on both sides of the body equally, except for two of them which run uh, up up our... um, up from the bottom of our body, up in front of our body, and then another meridian that runs down to the bottom of the body, okay, from the top of the head. Okay. And so, the side of the head, there's a meridian called the gallbladder meridian. Now, in Western culture, there's such a thing as saying that a person has a lot of gall. So, they got a lot of nerve, right? But they also have a lot of courage. (laughs) And so, so, the gallbladder meridian is related to a liver meridian. And so the two of them are affected by anger, frustration, resentment, and worry. Okay. Okay. So he probably felt very frustrated with this new boss. He probably felt very angry. But because the gallbladder also governs decision-making, it also affected his decision-making because he didn't have enough courage to go one way or the other, or he thought he only had one choice, when maybe he really had more than one. Hmm. Okay? And so the thing is, is that we need that courage to make the decision. And because he was so confused at the time, because that's why head, head, any head injury is always, a, um, is always an indication of confusion of not knowing what to do, any head injury, any head trauma. Okay. Okay? So,
So he was hit in that particular part of the head because he couldn't make a decision. And that was for real. That was part of my diagnostic process. That's what I found out from asking him questions and listening to what he had to tell me. And following his lead, because that is the art of diagnosis and also science. So in the end, what I was helping him to do was to come to the right decision. Okay, so I already knew what he wanted and what he didn't want. He wanted to stay. But how am I going to live with this guy? Okay, so one of the things that I asked him to do, because the thing is, is that I told him, okay, I, I will help you. You just have to do everything that I tell you to do. Now, he had to make a decision that day that he would do everything that I would do, that I would tell him. Because I had no idea what it was that I was going to be telling him to do, but he had to trust me that I would find the best way for him to solve this problem. And so he made a promise, not so much to me, but to himself. And so one of the things that I asked him to do at the time was to set up meetings with his boss because his boss wouldn't know what was going on with him. Sure. His boss would have no idea, right? But he was the one, my son was the one who was suffering, so he had to make the first move. He's got to be the one to make the changes because his boss has no clue that he's going through any of this. So I told him, okay, I want you to set up meetings with your boss once a week. Go in and talk to him and ask him for what you want. You see, I was in corporate for 24 years myself, and I almost had a really bad cancer scare for me. I did not want my son to go through his career making the same mistakes that I did. Yeah, okay, totally. We were cutting off the cycle right there, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so I guess that's the reason why my path in life had to go through what it did, you know, in order to have that insight. But the thing is, is that, so I waited for him to tell me what he was going to do about this because this was definitely going to stretch him. This was going to make him very uncomfortable because my son is a very quiet guy. He doesn't go off and you know, to talk to people and tell them what's going on in his life. No, he's a very quiet guy. He goes about his work. He's more or less a typical engineer, okay? All right. <laughs> so, so he could have said no. I was waiting for the shoes to drop. But he said, okay, I'll do it. And that's because he remembered the promise that he made to himself. He wanted to get better. And so I made sure every week when we saw each other that he was keeping his promise. And because he was, this was one of the things that he was doing that was difficult, he, he did it every single week and he started to feel better. He felt better because he was in control of his situation again. He had made a decision. He was going to stay with the company, and he was going to try to work with this guy by having these weekly meetings with him. The work, the other work that we did with him, it just got better and better. So he got his concussion late August. We started working together early in September. Um, he was back at light practices, but no heading in about four weeks. Wow. 
And then uh, he started his regular indoor season in soccer um, on time on November the 1st. So it was eight weeks, about eight weeks. And even before that, you know, we had, um, I wasn't seeing him every week. Uh, as people get better, we try to see how long, you know, you can go without seeing me. Sure. To see how you're doing because that because that means that you are following protocol. You're following what you're supposed to be thinking and doing, <laughs> the proper things. And he skied all all winter long in the Canadian Rockies and he's a nice. he's an he's an expert skier. He played pool league and he never missed a day of work in a very high pressure job. Never missed a day of work. So he broke all the rules. Whatever rules there are that conventional medicine has for concussions. He did not stop doing all that heavy intellectual stuff. You know, uh, he didn't do the uh, stay in a dark room for a few days. And, and all I did was make sure that if he felt comfortable doing something, just keep doing it. If he didn't feel comfortable doing something, to stop doing it. It was up to him because... Really and truly, everybody has a different reaction to a concussion. Yeah, every, everybody's makeup is different. Yeah, everyone's makeup is different. Now, that is one thing that I do agree with because uh, conventional neurologists have said the same thing. However, the way to get them from A to B, it's a very different thing. And yeah, sure, you know, most people will recover from a concussion within a matter of days a week even, mm -hmm. but there's still a lot of people, if they don't get better within that week, they don't know what to do with them. And that's where the problem is. Interesting. You know, one of the things you said I found very interesting, and this theme was throughout the book, is that everything happens for a reason. Um, quote from the book, injuries happen for a reason, and they're always preceded by negative emotion set. Physical yeah. symptoms are always due to an emotional reaction to the turmoil going on inside, and the question I had to that, you know, you say that him getting hit, hit in that certain part of the head happened for a reason because of what was going on in his life. You know, what happens, say, a basketball player goes up for a shot, he, he comes down to land, he unknowingly steps on another player's, uh, you know, foot and rolls his ankle. Um, mm -hmm. That To me, that seems like a fairly innocent, complete accident. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure to you, I mean, how is, how is that, you know, kind of predetermined by his mindset? Well, it's kind of interesting because, I mean, in, in Nolan's case this time, he was hit in the head and that hurt him. You know, he's he's headed the ball many times. So why this time? I mean, well, the thing is, this was, uh, he wasn't intending to head this ball because it, it did happen completely without his knowing that his teammate was kicking the ball towards him while he was um, uh, minding uh, the offense on that part of the field mm -hmm. but the thing is is that the um, gallbladder the gallbladder meridian actually runs from the eye through the side of the head to top of the head back of the head down the shoulders and on the side of the body and the legs so he if if his body was weakened somewhere else he could have had a leg injury he could have had a shoulder injury. He could have had a neck injury. But no, it was a brain injury. 
this time. So because of the stress, his body was his the stress hormones definitely had a had a, a role in playing in weakening of his brain. Now, when somebody rolls their ankles, when we're talking about the feet, because I've had several rolled ankles in my lifetime. Oh, not, I think we all have, yeah. Yeah, you know, not any in the last oh, 10, 15 years, but, but I discovered that when there are problems in the feet, it is because we are having trouble standing up for ourselves. Or we're having trouble standing on our own two feet, being independent, being um, self-sufficient. Or we are afraid when we can't walk, and an ankle injury will often do that, that we are afraid of taking steps to move forward in our lives. But sometimes it's also because when we're stopped in our tracks like that, that sometimes we are racing through life and we need to stop and think about what we are doing. Hmm. So there are many different meanings. And, and being a doctor of Chinese medicine, I have to be the one to ask the good questions to find out which one of these things it is <laughs> that you're going through right now. Oftentimes, you know, like uh, a lot of my clients, will they're nodding, oh, yeah, oh, my God. You're right. Okay. <laughs> so, so when we know why, then we know also what needs to be done. And so it's not about taking a pill because that never really solves the problem. You right. still, as long as you still have to keep taking a pill, it's a reminder that you still have a problem. Exactly. So it doesn't solve anything, right? So when we find out what the real reasons are behind our injuries – or behind our disease, even cancer, even you know, heart attacks, every, anything, everything has a reason. When we c can honestly and sincerely look at what is going on in our lives and we really, truly, and sincerely want to do something about it, then we start healing. I like that. You know, one thing you said that kind of leads into this a little bit is, is you don't call your patients patients, you call them students. In the book, you refer to yourself as more of a teacher than a doctor. Why, why can't more you know, Western doctors kind of consider themselves as teachers? You go in for a diagnosis, and they tell you this really long name that you can never repronounce if your life <laughs> depended on it, and they don't tell you why or what. Do they just, this is a, you know, XYZ uh, situation, and take these pills. Well, you know what? A diagnosis in Western medicine really isn't a diagnosis. It's really a mere description of what has happened to you. That's true. So it's true, right? So, so they tell you you've got um, inflammation in your joint, you know, by whatever fancy word they have for that particular joint. Mm -hmm. Well, they're just already telling you the obvious. Yeah, we already know that. You already know that. So how does that help you, right? It doesn't. So, so the pill that they give you treats the symptom, but it doesn't treat the cause. And the thing is that's so important is to get a person to relearn how to take back control of their life, knowing and helping them that they should know that they really do have control over their lives, that the only thing that we do really truly have control over is our minds. 
And when we change our mind, we literally change what goes on outside. We don't have control over a loved one, our bosses, <laughs> you know, our coworkers. Right. We don't have control over events and situations or even our pets. <laughs> That's <laughs> for sure. That's for sure. If anybody's tried to hurt a cat, you know that for sure. Right? Raising a puppy. Oh, yeah. Lots of fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the only corner of the world that we truly have control over is ourselves, and, and it really primarily comes down to our thoughts. What's in our mind? What's habitually in our mind? My son was going through worry. What am I going to do? I hate this guy, you know, whatever it was he was thinking. Mm -hmm. And he was, and all you're doing is reinforcing these neural networks in your mind. However, you're not creating anything new. Because the ironic thing is about the brain, it's only when we are happy and having new experiences and learning new things that are good for us that's when the brain is creating more brain cells. But when we are stressed out, we get into this vicious cycle. We, when the stress response is we get cortisol, we get adrenaline, it floods our brain and, and every other part of our body, right. which then makes us more susceptible to injury. And if it's chronic, if we keep thinking about the same problems over and over again, even if it's not you know, every minute of the day, but you keep coming back to it several times a day, it, you're, you are definitely building certain neural networks in your brain that become very strong. And because of that response in the body, all, that, all those stress hormones, your, your cells actually start craving the stuff. <laughs> and they start dividing the cells, new cells, in other parts of your body, craving it. So that's why it's really hard to get out of bad habits. Interesting. Yeah. The thing is, is that we have such powerful minds because really, what sets us apart from other animals or creatures on this earth? It's because people have minds and we mm -hmm. have a very, um, very well-defined set of emotions, you know, emotions are meant to be fleeting. They're meant to just tell us, okay, I like this, I don't like that. And you're supposed to let it go. And then you're supposed to do something about the things that you like and the things that you don't like, you know, to remove those things that you don't like. You sure. know, adapt in some way. I mean, we are the most adaptable creatures on the earth. And it's because we have a huge brain and a mind, which by the way, is not the same thing as the brain. The mind creates the brain. The mind creates the body. Where the mind goes, the body follows. That's why people can spontaneously have these so-called miracles and come out of third-stage cancer. The, this is why people can um, have a terrible accident that has uh, doctors telling their families, oh, well, he'll never walk, he'll never eat by himself, he'll never, you know, never do anything for himself. And they come out of it. Mm -hmm. That's because in their mind was still intact and they made up, they made a decision, I'm going to live. And we have all these so-called miracles every day, which are, you know, 
conventional medicine just sort of looks at it and they can't explain it, so they don't think it's important. <laughs> right. That's that's very true, actually. Yeah. They can't explain it, but we can explain it. I can explain it. Uh, one of the things you talk about, which which is part of what just had me glued to the book, uh, was the difference between the left and the right brain and you know how we learn and, and how they connect and, and how they help you learn. Um, so one question I had related to that was, you know, as we learn our brain, you said our brain decides, you know, essentially what things to drop off, things that aren't important to, uh, to us. So for, so for someone that tends to forget a lot of things, does that mean that the brain just decided that wasn't important and dropped it off? Well, it's not because the brain decided, it's because you decided. <laughs> Remember, the mind is in control. True that. If something is not a high priority to you, you're not going to pay much attention to it. You know, uh, it's it's kind of interesting because I was uh, studying Alzheimer's for a little while here too recently. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that was revealed about it is that um, for a lot of people with Alzheimer's, they have taken care of their families almost solely above everything else, including their own health. Okay. And when someone starts suffering from Alzheimer's is because they are standing back and they want their family to take care of them now. It was a very interesting revelation because yeah. I've, I've, because I know people with, um, well, just beginning Alzheimer's and unfortunately they believe the diagnosis. They believe that they can't do anything about it, which, which makes me angry and sad, (laughs) and because I know they can do something about it, but I also know what their history is like, because we've been friends for a long time, and how much they did go out and take care of everybody, except themselves, so, and yeah, when that was revealed to me, it was, wow, lightning bolt. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, so the brain... Yeah, when we forget things, it's it's really because it's not a high priority. Because when we do remember something to do, what do we do? We, we go do, do it. it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's important to us. But when somebody asks us to do something that they're not willing to do, if they're trying to live their lives through us, we don't want to do it. Because th- that's not our mission. And so that's why there's also this conflict with kids and their parents. I mean, yes, parents want the best for their kids. They want them to have safe jobs. Yeah, well, there's no such thing as safe or secure, right? And so I know people who have gone to medical school, you know, they've made it all the way there. And then they've handed their medical diploma back to their parents. And then they went off and did something else because they only did that for their parents. Sure. Yeah. You hear about, you know, I, I feel like you hear about that a lot in the uh, entertainment industry, you know, so-and-so was going to school to be a lawyer and then a month before they graduated, they gave it up and became a stand-up comedian. Yeah. Yeah. Or even Will Smith, you know, um, he, he had to make a decision between going to Harvard and what, cutting a, a record deal. I think that's what it was. And of course we know how he's done. Right. I mean, he's, I mean, he's, he's, he's still a smart guy. There's no doubt about it. He's still a very smart guy, but you don't need a university degree to be that smart or street smart. Sure. 
You don't you don't get street smart in university. Uh, quite the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. All right. I have one last question for you, and then I have to get some listener questions because I wouldn't be doing my job if I don't. Um, oh, I, I, I want to get back to the NFL real quickly. We, we talked a little bit about CTE and the concussion protocol. Um, what about NFL players or um, we'll say rugby, you know, wrestlers, whoever, professional wrestlers, whoever, that have been diagnosed with CTE? Is this something that can be reversed? I think anything can be reversed. Just like I said, you know, a broken back can be reversed. You know, a broken, a severed spinal cord can be reversed. That definitely can be reversed too. There's no such thing as being hopeless because, like I said, our mind controls our body. So if you have made a decision, a firm decision that you are going to be healed, then you will seek out what needs to be found in order for you to become well again because again it's not about just wishing and hoping that you're going to get better no you have you still have to take action just like my son did just like the people in my book did they all had to go through whatever trials of fire you know they still had to go through self-revelation they still had to build their confidence level they had to work in order to get it done so, yes, CTE can definitely be reversed. Interesting. You know, one thing about the book we, we should probably mention is, and of course, again, the book, Heal Your Concussion, How to Quickly and Effectively Get Back in the Game. Uh, one thing you mentioned is your is FLOW, which stands for Freedom, Learning, Optimism, and Wisdom. And we won't give mm-hmm. too much detail because we do need people to check it out. Um, but my favorite part of that was the learning, learning about your your situation, learning about yourself, and really kind of learning about what's going on with you right now to help overcome whatever injury you're trying to overcome. Yeah, we have to become a stronger person in order to overcome the weakness that we had because we can't go back to where we were because we were weak at the time. So we have to become stronger in order to become better. And that's where the healing truly is, when we become stronger people, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. It's awesome. It truly is awesome when yeah. I see a student of mine just blossoming right in front of me. It is the most awesome thing. And don't forget, student means uh, patient to the rest of us Westerners. <laughs> All right. So I got to get some listener questions and some, uh, some friends. Also, I, I shared your bio with some people as well as I asked people to submit questions um, and, and trying to get a, a more rounded interview from uh, for this. So Mike wants to know, you mentioned that um, being obese doesn't mean you're lazy or you eat too much. So Mike wants to know, what do they need to fix or change to be successful? Or are there certain people that are just no hope and are going to be fat their whole life? You know, the interesting thing about the people that I've treated for obesity is the fact that many of them were, were very sensitive and loving people. But they felt very, very vulnerable. So they built up fat as body armor. Hmm. And once they started to feel powerful, okay, that's, that's really the best way that I can put it. Once their self-confidence was, was there for them and they realized that, yeah, I can do this. I will get through this. I will survive this divorce. I don't need that guy. I can do this. 
you know, or even young men who who were bullied, um, even bullied by their parents, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, once they started standing up for themselves, once they started standing up for what they thought and knowing that they were valuable p- people, that's when the weight started coming off. And some of them were obese for most of their lives. We're talking about 30, 40 years. And it was coming off. And it was coming off consistently. And all of a sudden, the energy's there. And the happiness is there. Hmm. The confidence is there. But the confidence has to be there before the fat comes off. And then they didn't, they didn't need it anymore. The body armor could go away so yeah that's why in i i just don't find that obese people are lazy and eating too much most of them aren't you know and like one of my clients she was she was um a vegetarian she was a blood type a she was eating a a blood type a diet you know according to um eat right for your blood type okay there was a, a couple of tweaks, but nothing major. She was a vegetarian, and but she had been, um, she had been, I guess, fat for since she was about eleven years old. Hmm. And in her case, it was because her parents. She was the eldest. She was the girl, and her parents went to work, and she had to take care of her younger siblings. And she didn't feel very comfortable with that. But her parents relied on her. And they, I guess they didn't show as much appreciation or tell her how important this was to them. She just felt so vulnerable because here she is. She's only a couple of years older because she started at the age of nine. Okay? Okay. She started looking after her siblings at the age of nine. She did not feel safe. And because she did not feel safe... She started putting on this weight, and she was dieting since she was around the age of 11 or 13. So she And she could never lose the last 10 pounds. She was always <laughs> on this endless cycle until the day when she could actually go back home and visit her family. And everything that they said to her just slipped off like Teflon. Because it didn't bother her anymore. And then when she came back and she told me, and I said, yep, that's the turning point. <laughs> because she because she always gained weight when she was there. Right. And nothing of the sort happened. And I said, you are here, lady. You have found it. You found your sweet spot. That's and awesome. Good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, over and over again, it has shown me why we have to be good doctors have to be good psychologists i mean the word doctor means teacher we have to spend time with our clients getting to know them and how it can seems we possibly yeah oh sorry <laughs> it seems like the trend is less and less time with your patients or your your students yeah and more and more pills right for the rest of your life exactly that's not medicine that's not medicine medicine's supposed to solve a problem it's not supposed to keep you on meds. No. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, 
That's another topic for another show. We can get into that one for a long time. Um, all right. Listener Shannon wants to know, people who get multiple concussions in their lifetime, um, does each one amplify from the one previous or does it reset in between concussions? Or, Well, if, you, if a person is suffering from more, more than one concussion, it's because they haven't solved the problem in the first place. Sure. That it's still there. So that's why they keep having it because it's like God, you know, hitting you on the side of the head saying, come on, wake up. <laughs> that's, re- that's really what it is. Yeah. Because I told, I told my son that he doesn't need to ha- – this is a one-off. If he has learned his lesson, he doesn't need to ever worry about having a repeat concussion. So it's been – Almost four years. He's had no relapses, no headaches, no depression. He's living his life exactly the way he wants to. That's great. I mean, yeah. So, yes, if somebody has repeat concussions, it's because they still have the original issue in their lives, and that's what they have to deal with. Okay. She also wants to know why are concussions so misunderstood and why – does it seem like they've been coming to the forefront so much recently? Concussions are misunderstood simply because of a modern medical paradigm that separates the mind from the body. And you can't do that simply because, as I said before, you really only have control over your mind. That is the most important part of you. Because they put med- because they specialize in different organ systems um, and and specialize in the mind all by itself. And the two of them don't talk and all these different parts don't talk to each other. That's the problem. That's why it's so misunderstood because they can't relate one part to the other. They keep insisting that the mind has nothing to do with the body and that the body has nothing to do with the mind when in fact... The mind-body connection is very easy to explain because they tell us about it all the time. For instance, when you're feeling angry, your heart beats in a certain way. When you're scared, your heart beats in a certain way. Okay. Your appetite disappears. You're, if you're angry at the dinner table and you're having an argument, you might have a stomach ache or other people around you might have a stomach ache. If you have an argument with a loved one or with your boss over something, maybe the next day or maybe later that day, you so-called catch a cold. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, colds don't happen just because it's flu season. Actually, colds and flus happen because you believe in a flu season. Okay? I like that. But, but colds and flus happen out of season because you're sad about something, you're worried about something, because the lungs are very, very um, delicate. The lungs and the heart both are organs that feel every emotion. So if we have chronic unhappiness due to worry, due to sadness, due to grief that we can't let go, they're going to be affected. Um, I don't remember. Do you do you remember Christopher Reeves who played Superman in the 1980s? Yeah, I was actually just talking about him today. Oh wow! Well, geez, see that's not no accident. <laughs> so, so his wife after he died. 
His wife died of lung cancer. Right. She was, she was not a smoker. So she died while I was still in school. And I knew why she died. She died of deep grief. She had, she lived his life with him in his last few years. She was obviously deeply in love with him. And, and she died of a broken heart. She died of deep grief. Even though she never smoked a day in her life, she died of lung cancer. People can't explain, you know, modern science, modern medicine can't explain it, but we can because we understand that very deep, inseparable connection between the mind and the body. And so modern physiology tells us all this stuff, and yet they don't look at their physiology. They don't understand it. That's what I find so ironic. (laughs) Because we have all this fantastic research. We're taught this in medical books. We're taught this in human biology books. And yet, they don't connect the dots. They don't understand how important it is for a doctor and a client, patient, or student to have that human connection in order to heal. Yeah. You know, I like what you had to say about the cold and the flu season and and how it's all about your mindset. I refuse to get flu shots. I never get sick. I just I feel like if I don't run myself ragged and I'm stay, you know, somewhat healthy, I just I just don't get sick and I and I generally don't. My girlfriend gets sick and and I don't get it. Yep. Exactly. That's because you're very very wise. That is fantastic. <laughs> I love it. I love it when people get it. Now you know why. I, I like you don't that believe a lot. In that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I like that so much. Um, all right. So, Dan, uh, like I said, I sent your bio out to a few people. One of the things on your bio is you say that uh, Alzheimer's is a brain injury. And so Dan wanted to know how is Alzheimer's a brain injury? Well, we talked earlier about the stress res- uh, response and how um, when we react negatively to something that it floods the brain as well as the body with cortisol and adrenaline, mm-hmm. okay? And so the thing is, is that as we have a continual relationship with th- these negative thoughts, we're strengthening a certain network in our brain. But the thing is, is that there's this little part of the brain that's called the hippocampus. And this little part of our brain is responsible for learning, for our emotions, and for creating most of uh, our brand new baby brain cells, okay? Okay. So when things are going great and we're learning something new and, and we keep practicing it over and over and we're enthusiastic about it, well, like a, computer, like a computer memory, we need to increase the amount of memory. So that, that for us in the human body means we need more brain cells. So as we're happily doing this stuff, okay, we're, then the hippocampus is going to be creating more brain cells because we need more memory. Now... On the other hand, if we're stressed out often during the day, if we're not dealing with chronic stress and the unhappiness in our lives, and we keep having these stress hormones coming across our brains, then uh, the hypothalamus, which controls the the amount of cortisol, uh, stress hormone that Mm -hmm. comes out, okay, in our, from our adrenal glands uh, above our kidneys, it talks to the hippocampus, okay? Okay. So the hippocampus will 
monitor the amount of cortisol that's in your bloodstream. And at a certain point, if things are normal, because a stressful period should really only be very short, okay, it'll tell the hypothalamus, okay, you can stop now. We don't need any more cortisol. And then the parasympathetic nervous system, which is your tend and befriend nervous system, kicks in and we calm down. So if we're, everything is normal and we don't get stressed out very often, we calm down very, very quickly, okay, within minutes. But if we're in a chronic stressful situation in our minds, then the hippocampus actually starts getting damaged. And then it can't talk to the hypothalamus to tell it to stop. Hmm. So, the hippo, so the hypothalamus just keeps going and going. And so, so the hippocampus also becomes, okay, to put it as simply as possible, sick. So besides not being able to talk to the hypothalamus to stop the cortisol levels from growing, it also stops creating new brain cells. And so when you look at an Alzheimer brain, there's a lot of holes in it, a lot of poke marks in it, a lot of missing parts. Well, it's because nothing new is being made. Hmm. Nothing good that is being made. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So because we need more uh, brain cells in order to, if we have good memories, and we're not having good memories when we're having Alzheimer's, <laughs> right. believe me. We are, those people are stuck. So whatever they cannot express to the people outside is being kept and suppressed inside. And they just keep continuing to be unhappy. That's the bottom line. Okay. And final listener question is from Val. She says, uh, she mentions your no scientific evidence for icing injuries. Uh, and if that's the case, why do we do it? And what should we do? Okay, that's a great question because in Chinese medicine, in Chinese sports medicine, we never use ice. And the Which reason is why we everything do that, we're taught here. Yeah, it's against er- yeah, well it's against everything that we're taught. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the reason why uh rice came into being is because of a Dr. Gabriel Merkin back in the 1970s, and I actually have his original book, which he published in 1978. I gave that book to my brother, to my younger brother, because he was a weightlifter at the time. So I gave that book to him because it was sports medicine. So Dr. Gabe is the guy who originally coined the term rice. So rest, ice, compression, and elevate. Mm -hmm. Okay? But there was never any evidence that icing... This um, closed injuries worked. There never has been any research to show that. The only research that shows that icing actually works is for people who have had to have surgery for for whatever that injury was. Hmm. Okay? okay? So that's the only evidence that we actually do have. So what? It's been, what, almost 40 years? Dr. Gabe Merkin, last year, or maybe in it was 2014, actually. In okay. March of 2014, he said, I take it back. Really? Total rest, yes. Total rest and icing does more harm. <laughs> Don't do it. Total rest is wrong. 
Icing is wrong. He actually took it back. And I would actually say compression is, I wouldn't do it either. Okay, now the reason is, is because icing is cold, right? Yeah. So it's, contra- so it's contracting. And so they thought that icing would remove um, the swelling. They thought that it would um, remove pain and this sort of thing. Sure. But unfortunately, we need circulation inside that injured area. So now Dr. Gabe Merkin is now saying that we need to have that inflammatory reaction in the body because it is a healing reaction. And it is. Now in Chinese medicine, we speed that up with certain kinds of liniments and ointments. So so this stuff also cools down the area. But it doesn't cool it down in such a way that it stops circulation from happening. Hmm. The herbal formulas are, are very synergistic. You know, they figured these things out hundreds and thousands of years even. How, how these combinations of herbs help each other. And so we have the cooling down, but we also have circulation. So... So it also encourages circulation. So the bad stuff is moving out. The good stuff is moving in. Okay. And, and so we, we recommend that with the ointment and the liniment that you're also fiercely um, massaging the area. And that also encourages mas- um, the circulation. Now, first you should know whether you've got a broken bone or not. Well, yeah. <laughs> before, you, before you do that. And because there's a, a slightly different protocol. Uh, for dealing with broken bones, but like I've got, we've got this wonderful stuff that actually, it, it actually um, knits bone. Hmm. So it so it's really great for hairline fractures because um, just like in modern sports medicine, there's not much they can do about um, th- those kind of little fractures in your feet. Right. But in Chinese medicine, we've got this wonderful thing. It's called Jingu Shui, which is fantastic for knitting bones. And, and so that's why icing isn't a good idea. In fact, usually in Chinese sports medicine, they're using warm water <laughs> rather than cold water or ice. Definitely no ice. I guess one of our great uh, Kung Fu masters said that um, uh, ice is for dead people because when you're dead, nothing is moving and it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So people don't think, have a second thought about using ice any, at this time because they saw the pros using it. And so if it's good for the pros, then it's got to be good for me. Right. But, but unfortunately, it stops the healing process. So if anybody is out there, and I'm sure there's a lot of people in your audience who are going through this who have chronic injuries or injuries that flare up every now and then, well, it's because they never healed in the first place. The thing is, though, is that it's never too late. (laughs) It really isn't too late. You can still heal it once and for all. But the first thing that I would tell everybody to stop doing is when it hurts, do not ask for ice. Don't do that. Instead, it'd be much better if you just massaged it, and then go see a um, a Chinese medicine doctor who specializes in sports injuries. 
interesting. You know, that made me think of something. I just recently heard a couple weeks ago about uh, a study that just came out that said that taking NSAIDs, uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, um, mm. you know, Advil, that sort of thing, that taking them kind of has the same effect of using ice that you're talking about, that it does not, yep. be- because it, it takes away the infl- infl- inflammation, can't talk, uh, it does <laughs> not allow your muscles to heal properly. Exactly. Yeah, because again, it's treating the symptom, but not the cause. Right. Not the cause. Interesting. If you guys have liked what you've heard, like I've said, it's not just about uh, the herbs and other things. You you learn a well a crap ton about the brain and the chemical makeup, and that's that's what hooked me. Check out Heal Your Concussion: How to Quickly and Effectively Get Back in the Game. You can also get Doctor Joni, and it's J O. A N N Y, Dr. Joni Lou at drjoni.com or rapidinjuryrepair.com. And of course, I'll have all those links in the guest section at I want to know show.com if you forget anything. So check her out, check out her book. Dr. Joni, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. And I just wanted to add one more thing because Please. this was brand new since I talked to you. Um, people can now catch me on my personal profile. Uh, on Facebook, where I do a Facebook Live every week on Thursdays, 3 p.m. MST or 2 p.m. Pacific Time. And I'm there to talk about a particular topic and also to answer questions. So I'd love it if people from your audience would come out and watch me and see what I have to say. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Is it Facebook.com slash Dr. Joni? Or? DRJ Liu, L-I-U, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, that I love the Facebook Live. A lot of people are using this as a tool now, so that's that's awesome. So that's great. It's great. It is wonderful. I love it. Fantastic. Well, once again, thank you so much, and uh, please come back anytime. Oh, I'd love it. I would love to come back. Lots to talk about. Yes. <laughs> once again, thank you so so much to Dr. Joni Liu for taking the time to talk with us today. Like I said, so interesting. Love the brain connection talk and the neurons and the glial. I probably should have asked her how to properly pronounce it. The glial cells and and everything else, all the brain connections. Love all that discussion. And the book is super interesting. Heal Your Concussion, How to Quickly and Effectively Get Back in the Game. Link to get that on Amazon will be at IWantToKnowShow.com. Just click on the guest section right there. Dr. Joni Liu have links to get the book. I recommend checking it out. You can get it on Kindle. You can uh, get the real version. The cool thing about the real version is you can uh, take notes. She has a little spot for you to take notes in there. Very fun. Anyways, uh, so thanks again to Dr. Lou. Thanks again to you guys for listening to the show. been getting a lot of feedback from you lately, and I really, really appreciate it. If you want to send some comments, some questions, some suggestions, you want to be on the show, whatever you'd like, I want to know pod at gmail.com is how to get a hold of me. You can find us at IWantToKnowShow.com. You can listen to us on just about any podcast app, including the website, iTunes, Stitcher, anything you need. We are covered. In fact, if you find a podcast app that we're not on, I want you to tell me. You should like the show on Facebook, Facebook.com slash IWantToKnowShow. On Twitter, at IWantToKnowShow. And like I've been saying lately, the show's on Instagram now, IWantToKnowShow. I think that's it. So thanks again to you guys for listening. Thanks to Dr. Joni. And on that note, good night, everybody. Good night.